Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two great ways to feel good this season. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. The music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. So today we have a special guest in the studio, Hannah Trueblood, lifelong Valparaiso resident, mom of two, and candidate for Valparaiso City Mayor. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. So we're super excited to have you with us. And for our listeners, what made you decide to run for mayor? Well, really, I've lived here my whole life, like you said, and I've been deeply involved in just community advocacy and political activism since I was a little girl. And there's really only so much that you can do from the outside. And I feel like this is kind of the natural next step for someone who's been doing that for the last two decades. And I feel like that's it's really an opportunity for us to enact some actual positive change in the way that our policies are written on a local level. I love that. We're all about that here. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so voters want to get, if they want to meet you, learn more about you, get involved, how do they do that? Yeah, so you can go uh, pretty much anywhere on Facebook and Instagram. It's Hannah for Mayor, uh, website hannahformayor.com. We have an HQ. It's uh, 1158 Lincoln Way. We're actually going to be there today. Uh, We've got canvassers and phone bankers and postcard makers there right now as I speak, uh, getting out, you know, the vote and inviting people to vote for me in the primary. So we have office hours there generally one to six every weekday. But yeah, most of the time there will be somebody there and an opportunity for you to to meet me and check it out. So um, yeah, and we also have uh, an event um, on the 29th. It's called the Rock Out the Vote, and we want to invite everybody to come. It's going to be you know, live music, barbecue at the Valpo VFW. You'll have the opportunity to meet me, and uh, it's also the last day to early vote. So if that's mm. what you're wanting to do, you can go and early vote and, then, and come and see me and, and have a good time. Nice. Yes. Okay, so also, before we transition, one of the things we do on this show is we play stories from our archive, and I would like to let listeners know that you actually chose the story from our archive for the show today, and I think that's really awesome. Um, anything... What, like, what stood out to you from this story? Like, what made you choose this one before we dive in? Well, I actually did a total deep dive and listened to probably a dozen of them. <laughs> so this is, this is a, a well-thought-out thing, but, you know, it, it really felt like it, it kind of ties into a, a lot of the things that I'm passionate about and really just humanizes a, a different a different group of, of the population that seem to be left out of the conversation pretty much 100% of the time. Totally. So, yeah. Totally. All right. So let's just jump right in. This first story today is titled, We Were Them. What we're doing here is very outside our comfort zone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's one of the things we are trying to do different because people need to learn these things. It's not easy for people to open up about this sort of thing. Trust doesn't come easy to me. 
It is. It's very hard to know who you can talk to and who you can be honest with because a lot of people in my past, my experiences were that the more people know about you, the more judgmental they become. Asking for help wasn't something that I ever really did. That, for both of us, was a big step, having to ask for help. When we were living out of our vehicle... Necessity drove us to have to go here and go there because you know you don't have resources. You know, we would we would park in the Walmart parking lot through the night for sleeping. So because we knew they had restroom facilities we could use. And when you live like that, you start meeting other people in a similar circumstance. And I was astounded at the number of people with vehicles and such. So I mean, typically if you saw them, you wouldn't even know that they're suffering in this way. And they're all around us. We were them, you know. And I never, I never understood any of this. Mm-hmm. But I got a pretty good grasp of it now. I don't think I ever even really considered people being homeless. It wasn't anything that I ever thought about. You know, I wasn't a person who was going to be like, oh, there's homeless people out there. I should do something to try to help them. Because the thought never even crossed my mind. And then... When it happens to someone like us, where then I have to take a step back and say, wow, it happened to me, it can happen to anybody. Because I would have never in a million years dreamed that I would end up homeless. What I've learned is that life is not a straight line. Mm -hmm. There's curves, turns, and then you even go back upon yourself many times. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get lost. Mm -hmm. You know, to take one misstep, to to take one wrong turn, left when you should have went right. And so to stereotype all these people and say they're this, this, or this, I can't tell you how wrong that is. Bad things happen to good people, and it ain't through no fault of their own. It's life. And I'll never hesitate to help somebody up after this. This is... Listen up at WVLP 103.1 FM and streaming live online at WVLP.org. I'm one of your hosts, Allison Schutte, with Reagan Skaggs and Willow Walsh. And our special guest today, candidate for mayor. Actually, how do you how do you talk about it pre-primary? I just say I'm, I'm, I'm the Democratic candidate for mayor. All right. That's what I am. And <laughs> true blood. We're so happy to have you here with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So I don't know. Where should we start with this one? I mean, this is one of my favorites, definitely. They're so human to me. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I picked it um, is I think that there's such a there's this weird connotation about people that experience homelessness that there are just these like low, lower level, like not one of us mm-hmm. type of a thing. But I mean, this is, I mean, they're the people that you pass walking down the street. They're people that are serving you your coffee uh, when you go and picks it up. I mean, they're everybody that any, and it could happen to anybody too. There's such a, a huge, like the social construct makes it feel so separate. But the reality is that everybody and a lot of people, especially here, are you know one paycheck away from being in that situation themselves so i think that's so important to consider that just because it's not something that maybe is is something that we've experienced doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and totally yeah no i i love that because i i don't know if you know this but our initiative that has these stories about homelessness it's actually titled the invisible project Mm -hmm. because it's the idea that like 
it's this sort of inv- it's it's homelessness can be invisible in a suburban city, mm-hmm. whereas like maybe in an urban setting, it's a lot more you you encounter people. But like here, it's like as the speakers say, they're just like in their car. You wouldn't necessarily know that you're going through that. Exactly. I actually just had a conversation. Um, I was speaking to the veterans at the VFW the other night, and I had mentioned homelessness here and kind of some initiatives that we can that we can take as a local government to to um, not only prevent it in the first place, but also help the people that are already experiencing that. And uh, one of the gentlemen that I was talking to was blown away. He's like, I didn't even know that Valpo had homeless people at all. He said, I don't see them, you know, and so it doesn't really cross my mind. And I said, you know, you'd be really surprised. It's it's a lot more than you thought. And that is a problem that is, it was kind of designed that way, I think, to make it seem like it's not a thing. And so if it's not a thing, then we don't have to talk about it. And if we don't have to talk about it, then we don't have to do anything about it. And that's you know a big part of of why I'm I'm running because the people that are in positions of power aren't doing anything about it and you know one one person experiencing that is enough for me I feel to do something so I think the bigger issue too that this story kind of hints at is a housing insecurity which mm-hmm. is even more broadly experienced than the actual like kind of shift over into homelessness itself. Um, If you're living one paycheck away from becoming homeless, should something happen? In the case of this couple, it's not in this story, but one of their other stories, we learn about like his um, physical um, disability as well as then he loses a sister. And so there's like um, mental emotional distress and then her job cuts her hours and then they can't um, afford the gas that they need to get to her job. You know, it's so that the the housing insecurity itself, which is also completely invisible mm-hmm. unless people are naming it and talking about it, is prior to and indicative of like people who are going to experience homelessness. And the stereotype that we have of the panhandler is just so limited in understanding what being unhoused looks like. So I think even in cities, not just suburban cities, the kind of homelessness that these uh, that this couple is describing is also going to be experienced in ways that they're not visible in cities either, because mm-hmm. we still have that strong stereotype of the homeless person as the one who's just the panhandler living on the streets. Exactly. It doesn't even begin to cover the amount of people that are you know sleeping on couches or staying with a friend where they they themselves don't have a place for them to call home there's somebody else's essentially guest and this in the car and staying at hotels and even if like you're saying you know even if you have a home if you have a mortgage to make and they cut your hours and you can't pay that mortgage then what you know what happens and same thing with rent you know if you can't make that rent then what happens and we really need to I think it's important to address the actual source of the problem instead of the the symptom, I guess, which I would say that that experiencing houselessness is more of a a symptom of uh, the lack of resources available to make living uh, affordable for people. You know, here in Valparaiso, uh, you know, if you talk to anybody, a lot of times they think of Valparaiso as this, you know, affluent 
put your nose up type of a community, but our average income is Mm $56,000 a year. There's Mm -hmm. nothing affluent about that, especially, you know, these days. So to, to see, you know, where we're at right now in terms of a city and the growth of the city, trying to expand and and develop and things is, is all well and good, but we're not really paying any attention to the people who are already here. And that $56,000 is the median. There are plenty of people who are underneath that Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. even significantly below that and we're only at this point building houses and creating opportunities for high income earners and that middle and lower income earner is totally getting lost in the shuffle which I mean that's exactly what you're talking about with that insecurity Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with Willow Walsh, Reagan Skaggs, and me, Allison Schutte. We're streaming live online at WVLP.org, and we have a special guest today, candidate for mayor, Hannah Trueblood. And we've been talking about a story that Hannah chose for us from the Invisible Project Initiative, We Were Them. Um, It's one that is... uh, that we've actually used before on the show because it's near and dear to our hearts, um... Reagan, do you want to get in with a either insight into the story or something that stood out or a way of responding to Hannah? I apologize. I recovered from COVID not that long ago, so oh, I'm no. still a little nasty sounding. So apologies in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I just, um, I work at Starbucks. Um, and I, the unionized Starbucks, excellent times. We kind Woo-hoo. of met there. It was a good time. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, most of the folks that work at Starbucks, I probably get the closest to full-time hours right now. I made about half of Valpo's median in my year mm-hmm. last year. Um, and uh, almost no one, the only people that can afford to live in this community that work in the community are people who can only afford one car and who have a partner. So their partner will have the car and they have to live close enough to be able to walk to work. And they aren't exactly thriving in this community. The rent is high, but that is the only way that they can make it work. Yeah. And, you know, when you're walking and we're we're trying to promote these uh, walkable areas and stuff and our sidewalks aren't aren't even safe, you know, that's a whole other can of worms that's completely I mean it's it's relative to all of this as well you know when you've got people who are just trying to make a living and and they only have one car and they have to walk or they have to take public transportation or, or things that the options are, are pretty limited and the options that we have aren't necessarily the most safe because we've got bike paths that are just covered in litter and tr- tree things and and stuff from the road from the potholes kicking up and we've got sidewalks that are breaking and aren't being repaired. And, you know, an interesting thing that I saw was that we actually have a, a neighborhood grant program that is super awesome. I'm glad that it's there. But the, the most common thing I saw on the list of what the neighborhoods had applied for was for sidewalk repair. And to me, although that's great, I'm glad that that's happening, the issue that I saw with that was why is it that we're having to rely on grant money Mm. for something that would presumably be a city responsibility already? And, you know, that, you know, really ties into that, that we're totally forgetting and we're not really considering people who maybe don't have cars or maybe don't want a car or 
just anybody walking their dog. It's these the day-to-day issues that are not being looked at or paid attention to, and all of that ties into this whole conversation about invisible issues. And you know, now we're getting into more visible issues with you know sidewalk quality and road quality, but you know that's it's an issue that that we really need to be prioritizing that hits home with almost any person you know that that's experiencing that especially since we're paying taxes and even if you aren't paying taxes your rent is going towards the property taxes for your landlord mm-hmm. and so what i would hope to see is is a better representation of of what we need because at the end of the day we are the ones that are paying for it so Hannah, do you mind talking about the neighborhood that you're in? Because I, I know Banta, I know Central, mm-hmm. um, I, I li- and I know Hilltop. I live in Banta myself, so I don't always know all of the other neighborhoods. And I, you're a real estate agent as well, mm-hmm. right? So That's like, right. Like, what's your sense of our neighborhoods and which ones are getting attention or not getting attention? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I live right in the middle of town. I'm actually not sure what my neighborhood is called. I'm 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 in Old Fairgrounds Park, I think is what okay. they call it. So, um, but yeah, so that's where I'm at, and uh, it's very interesting. The skate park is being built literally in my front yard. So oh. this is going to be really cool to to watch. But you know, as as a real estate agent and as a lifelong person who's lived here, I've lived in I lived uh, grew up in in Hilltop neighborhood, and then in high school I moved into the uh, historic downtown neighborhood, and then when I bought my first house I lived um, on on Yellowstone, and so I've moved around and been in lots of different places, almost every major area in in town I've I've lived in and I've experienced, and in Val- I mean as an agent I've helped pretty much sell a house in almost every neighborhood as well. So I think that it's it's very interesting because we we take huge pride. Everybody takes huge pride in our downtown, in our historic neighborhood, and that is like the the main staple when, you know, you think about Valparaiso or you ask somebody about Valparaiso and they say the downtown and the his, the history of it. And the the interesting part about to answer your question is that these houses are very uh, getting to be higher priced and are uh, of high demand and there is absolutely nothing that is being done in these coveted neighborhoods right now that's where we're experiencing some of our worst drain problems and stormwater problems and uh, that is where we have like the worst sidewalks and the the area of town that's supposed to be the the most walkable is the least arguably and the the city right now is you know i i can't speak for their exact schedule on where they're going and what they're doing right now but from what i've seen a lot of these newer developments that are kind of going outside of town are are getting the most attention right now and there's some surrounding neighborhoods that are actually suffering from that a lot of these newer uh developments that are coming up that are being um promoted as such a great place are actually causing a lot of uh negative environmental impact to some of these older neighborhoods that are already here uh flooding in areas that have never flooded before um you know the the traffic of the uh, mm-hmm. the construction vehicles. We've had so many instances uh, where we've had neighbors, you know, on Yellowstone Road and and areas where it used to say no trucks, and they took that down. Hmm. And now they were using Yellowstone as the main thoroughfare for all of the big trucks going through building these newer developments. Mm-hmm. And you know that has 
has not necessarily fallen upon deaf ears, but we're not really seeing uh, much of a, a, I guess a, a reaction of any sort of empathy from, from these situations in these t areas in town that are supposedly, quote unquote, important and aren't getting any of that attention. So that's, that's kind of uh, an interesting point about that. So yeah, a lot of new developments getting extra attention and, and a lot of these really great, uh, high, highly desirable areas of town are being left away, especially like central neighborhood, hilltop neighborhood, Bonta neighborhood. A lot of that is being just kind of disregarded. And it was funny, we're on the drive here, I was saying, man, I love this neighborhood, you know? College Hill is is so cool. There's so many interesting quirks about it, and it's just being almost ignored at this point. And I'm curious to see, you know, what plans they have for that. Yeah, I feel like Banta has benefited from new, like those new curb things that are put in. Mm -hmm. um, so like some sidewalk improvement I've seen, because I, I walk either downtown or to the university where I teach. Mm -hmm. um, but there are like definite drain drainage issues <laughs> there's like this one part of um oh, I, I like i walk my neighborhood so i never remember the streets i think i'm on institute i think the next one over is next one south is erie mm -hmm. anyway there's like this one house that always has a flood in front of it when oh, yeah. it rains and i'm like i don't i don't know if they're not telling the city about it or if the city has not prioritized fixing uh this the the drains or yeah, it's it's definitely an, an interesting question, and and one of the things that I think is is a great you know potential solution for that is, um, you know the the big problem is always we can't afford it, or you know we don't have enough money to do these things, and we can't always give everybody all of the attention. You know, those are the excuses that you hear. But my counter to that is that we have a lot of opportunities here to lean more into uh, environmentally friendly, renewable resources, things like living roofs and uh, solar panels on you know, all municipal buildings. And uh, if, you know, if we were to lean more into that, there's initial investment, of course, but there's also a lot of federal money that they're giving in different ways to make it affordable specifically for municipalities to do this. And if we look at, at data from other places like Tri Creek School down in Lowell, they did this. They they did a lot of they built a solar farm and now they have reduced their budget significantly and now they're able to take that money and Put it towards things to uh, to grow the the school corporation in, in a positive way. If we can mirror that here, and we take uh, after our initial investment, and we take those savings of of whatever our our NIPSCO bills are for the city, and and that's now coming from the sun, and we take that money and we can use that to fix these infrastructure problems and to to tackle our sewer and stormwater problems and. You know, in the uh, the bump outs over there on on Washington Street in Chicago, those are great. Except they, I don't know if they didn't put the drain in the right place or mm. what, but all of the water just collects right. next to the drain, and it doesn't actually go into the drain. So you know, they cut a corner to save some money there, but now they're going to have to spend even more money. One, the road is going to deteriorate significantly faster with all of that standing water, and for two, I mean, eventually they're going to have to come out and fix it. And there's there's so many things you know like that where 
it, it, looking at the long play instead of trying to save an, you know, a penny here by cutting a corner, if we just take that investment and we, we see it all the way through, there will be savings down the line because we won't have to come back and repair it. And we won't have to keep having these problems that are reoccurring like what you were just talking about. Well, and I, as a walker with mobility, if there's water in my way, I can actually go ahead and walk in the grass to get around it. But if you're right. in like a wheelchair or using a walker, then you're going to be, that's you're ex- going to be more stuck. That's exactly it. And you know, yeah, I, the accessibility issue in town is, is a huge problem. As you just pointed that out. I mean, something so simple for able-bodied people like us. Okay. Yeah, no problem. There's water in the road, whatever. We'll walk around it. But somebody in a wheelchair doesn't have that privilege to be able to walk around, um, you know, and are having issues with, with the curbs and getting into, uh, like just walking downtown in the summertime for able-bodied people like us, we just walk around the the patio setups, but somebody who's Mm -hmm. in a full-size wheelchair or, uh, has any sort of issue like that, good luck navigating Lincoln way. And I mean, half the time anyway, you can't even get into the buildings because they themselves are not handicap accessible. And that's something that the city, um, I really feel is is lacking and, and can, we can really do a better job of working with the small business owners and the commercial building owners to find a solution that works for everybody. Yeah, I wish there was a little bit of civic education too for people who must not be used to walking and like when they park their cars in their driveway, <laughs> they park them over the sidewalk. I'm just like, really? Oh my gosh, you must yeah. not be walking if you're not thinking about leaving that right, that right of pass. Well, that's exactly open. what they were talking about in that story. You know, she, you know, you can't necessarily be upset with her for not, uh, you know, yeah. she didn't know that there was a problem. And so she didn't even think to ask for help and, you know, to, to help offer to help. And it's the same thing with that. You know, it's, it's a matter of, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. Yeah. And so a, a lot of the, the negative things that we've talked about here are, are easily fixable by just simply educating people on on what's going on some people might not after hearing this show hopefully they'll they'll think about that say oh my gosh i've been parking on the sidewalk for 25 years i never even thought about it so so you did a good service you know you put out the psa tell all your friends Uh, if you if you have mobility, I would also encourage everyone to bicycle a little bit around the city too, so you know what it's like to be on a bicycle, and that might change the way you drive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Allison <laughs> is here too, Shane. <laughs> would like everybody to know that you are ridiculous if she does not appreciate it. I've always said I want people to you know it should be a requirement that everybody has to work in a restaurant for like yeah, a year of their life. Just, I was yeah. just thinking about that too. Like as someone who worked in a restaurant, I treat mm-hmm. people differently oh, when 100%. I'm a percent customer. Yeah. I've been in restaurants since I was 15 years old. My first job was was uh, being a busser at Maria Elena's like Yeah, yeah. Felix, so shout out to Felix. <laughs> he instilled the fear of God in me and gave me my work ethic that I have today. You know, getting getting cussed at in Spanish. Uh, you know, when you're 15 years old, it definitely like really sets that precedent of I need to do better. <laughs> Do you want to say a little bit about what Maria Elena's is? And maybe that's a, a way to talk about small businesses, too, because mm-hmm. not everybody who's listening to this show, I mean, it's not there anymore. Exactly. Um, R.I.P. Um, yeah, Maria Elena's is right, was right around the corner where Louis uh, Catfish is now. It was a, 
a super great little family owned, uh, like a Italian type of a restaurant and, uh, Felix, the family, they, they were, they put their heart and soul into that thing. And they had, um, it was, that was the place that we went all the time. I mean, anytime that, that growing up, that was like the staple place. If you had a special event, you go to Maria Elena's. Yeah, if yeah. you, if you, if it's uh, you know, the Easter weekend and you got your family in town, you want to do brunch, you go to Maria Elena's Mother's Day, Maria Elena's like, that's, that's what it was for, for the Hilltop neighborhood, which is where I grew up. And yeah, it's, um, uh, I, I don't know the story of like how what happened to it or why it, it did what it did, um, but it is a, an all too familiar story of a, a family restaurant or, or business in general in Valpo just being such a great place and then it's gone and you know there's really no um, a lack of support of, of the small business owners you know we I actually just filmed a video. Um, last week, taking a walk downtown, all of the, va- uh, there's to- so many vacancies. And a lot of that ties back into the affordability mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. of, you know, rent is, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month. And that doesn't even include the cost of utilities or any sort of build out to make the space suit your business and, uh, you know, the renovations, things like that. But there are actually programs out there and available that we can be uh, utilizing to bridge that gap and help small business owners either educate them on how to appropriately create a budget, um, you know, grants for uh, making accessibility grants so that way they can have a more accessible space to uh, employ people who are who uh, may, maybe have a, a physical disability. Um, you know, and be able to patronize a, a larger group of people, which then is just good for the economy in general. You know, all of all of that are are important points that um, could be done to support small businesses. So that way, people like you know, multi generational uh, small businesses like Maria Elena's don't get tossed out and, and disregarded for the next whoever can afford the rent for however long that they can. This is WVLP LP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. Please consider supporting this station by visiting the website wvlp.org backslash support. Donations are tax-deductible, and we would sure appreciate it. This is Listen Up. Welcome Project Radio with Reagan Skaggs, Willa Walsh, and me, Allison Schutte. Today we have a special guest with us, Hannah Trueblood, running for mayor of Valparaiso. And we've been um, using a story from our Invisible Project to talk about some of the affordability issues in the city. Um, But we're also interested in more broadly hearing about... uh, platform issues that you are running on Hannah and is there anything else that you would like to to bring forward yeah I mean we've covered a lot already in a little bit of time so that's that's pretty awesome I mean, the the main points in, in my platform are really you know that reasonably priced housing is is a big thing teachers first first responders police officers baristas you know radio show hosts mm-hmm. 
our servers, they should all be able to live where they work. And, uh, you know, a big thing with that. Pol- police officers, for example, they, they, it's a safer neighborhood when they are patrolling in their neighborhood. Nurses are better nurses and provide better care when they are taking care of their neighbors and their and uh, and their children. Uh, when they go to school, school teacher is going to be uh, provide a, a better quality education for all of the kids when their when their kid is in that same school system. So that's you know a big thing mm-hmm. we've already touched on the uh, in, environmentally friendly you know green spaces. Um, we touched on the solar uh, initiatives that that we could do renewable. Resources. Resources. Another big thing is uh, really pushing to use more native plants mm. in, in our uh, landscaping through town. Beautiful job that they've done so far, but a lot of the, the plants and things that they use are invasive species. And really going into, uh, you know, working with people like that the Shirley Hines Lands Trust, they have tons of resources for native plants and things. So a really big um care about things like that it's it's a lot of these little things that maybe uh the average person don't don't think about on a day-to-day basis that really do actually impact all of our lives if we use native plants and that'll help with our butterfly we're actually a monarch city Mm. you know and using native plants and things will help Mm -hmm. with that ecosystem with our with our bees having even uh i've seen uh i have to do more research on it but they have little bricks with little bee houses inside of them so that helps provide a safe place for the bees to go and where they can also pollinate and and make it better which help could help people with their allergies and there's things like that you know uh having bigger you know gardening initiatives to help with the food insecurities that we have here um I, I was just talking earlier with somebody who goes to the food bank once a month, and she was blown away by how many cars line up and wait for a box of food here in Valparaiso, in our uh, quote-unquote affluent city. So green initiatives, gardening, things like that can help with that, uh, with that problem because if we can help provide fresh, locally grown fruits and vegetables at home, that can help. Uh, you know, lessen the burden of these these food insecurities that we're going through. Um, accessibility and inclusion, two really big important things. We've talked about that already. You know, one big thing is, especially in our state and across the country, we're seeing the LGBT plus community under attack by our state legislators. And mm-hmm. our governor here in Indiana just signed into mm-hmm. uh, into law the, the bill that is going to deny trans youth uh, their life saving care and uh here on on a local level we have an opportunity to bridge that gap between what our state is not doing to support people that they're trying to say don't exist and we uh, can we can have uh advisory boards for example made up of members of those communities that they're supposed to be representing a diversity council a specific LGBTQ council, you know, partnering with the uh, LGBTQ outreach of Porter County and other things too. Uh, that way we can advise and, and hear directly from people that are living that life every single day. We can hear directly from them what they need. And then we, as a governing body, can implement those policies to give them uh, the proper representation and the safety that they deserve. That's a huge one. 
geez, what else? Sorry, that one started to send me down a rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah, we can give you a chance to catch your breath too. Yeah, Willow, are you? You have questions or things that you're thinking about, or you want to dig into any part of that platform a little bit more? Yeah, no, I mean, I really love that idea of like having different like bodies of folks that you can sort of tap for experiences in Valpo. I mean, I remember the Human Relations Council, like a few Mm -hmm. years back, they were doing a listening tour. And so they invited different groups of folks to just come up and literally just talk about their experience being in Valpo. I mean, they were like students from the MSA, the Muslim Student Association at VU. There were LGBTQ students from, what is it called on campus? Alliance. Alliance, yeah. And so there were folks from them. And I remember like, I think it was the students from the Muslim Student Association when they came up and they were talking about like what it was like to just go to the grocery store in Valparaiso and they were like they were like you know it's a variety of things either sometimes they'll go to the store nothing will happen or they'll go to the store and like people will like sort of look at them Mm -hmm. or you know like give them dirty looks or like say things that are like you know off color and what was so surprising to me I mean I guess it's not surprising but like that they were white residents in the audience who are like no that didn't happen to you mm. <laughs> oh yeah and so it's just like but bro how would you know that like you're not wearing that skin nobody's gonna treat you that way but so i think that that's like a really great idea to have more of that that i don't know if it's, it's like a cultural competency like that's i think that's sort of part of why we do the archive is because I think it's so important to hear from residents and their experiences in order to even understand what's going on here. Exactly, exactly. And we, you know, we need uh, different opinions and different viewpoints. There's uh, a hive mind that is, um, it can, it can at, at the end of the day, negatively impact a lot of people because when you have five people sitting in a room making a decision for, you know, 35,000 people and all five of those people come from the same background, look the same way, you know, all of those sorts of things, they're not going to have, and nothing against them for that, you know, it's not their necessarily fault that they have a, a privilege or they are born a certain way, you know, we need to hear from all different types of people. We're a melting pot, you know, that's that's what everything is, that's what this is all about. And uh, interesting that you were talking about, you know, the MSA and, and people of people of color and their experience here in Valpo. I was raised in Hilltop and there were all, I mean, any type of person that you could imagine, they're they're in this neighborhood. And so it was a very interesting experience. You know, when I would go places with some of my friends, uh, you know, and I would be looked at differently, you know, and, and it, it the connection of the fact that I was white and so I was treated differently than maybe uh, one of my friends who who is black or one of my friends who is Hispanic or anything like that they were inherently treated differently at school at the park you know at the store you know all of those things and it's it's so important to remember that we don't know everything (laughs) and we certainly can't justify anybody else's experience but the person who's experiencing that so you know having my whole thing with this is we want to build a bigger table and we want to invite more people to the conversation because you know when i i actually just came back from a a trip out east we we went to colonial williamsburg 
And we learned about, you know, the, the, uh, how our country came to be and really took a deep dive in, in what the revolution and, and the years leading up to the revolution actually were. And one of the things that really, really stuck with me that I, I have taken home with me and really applying into my platform is that we were touring the, the state capitol in, in Virginia and the guy was talking about, um, you know, George Washington and John Adams and all those, that, that whole conversation. Uh, one of the things he said was, how many leaders have we elected in, in our country's history? And it's a trick question. The answer is none. We have not elected any leaders. We have elected public servants to represent mm-hmm. uh, the people and the constituents within a certain area. And I think that's so important and that really hits home with what with what I want to do as a mayor is you know is the is the mayor's job a position of power absolutely but I am not I'm not above anybody else in that position I am you I am a citizen of Valparaiso I work here I live here I raise my family here you all work here live here raise your families here and really bridging that gap between what government was supposed to be and what people um think of it today is is a big part of what is of what I'm trying to do you know and my job is to be your voice and to go down to the state house and you utilize that position of of power and that platform to uh, speak up for people who maybe don't have that ability or aren't being listened to you know we as as a people deserve to see representation in our government and our government is there to serve us they work for us we hire them we pay them and so the least that they could do is uh, is listen to us for one and for two implement and understand what we're telling them and and just make it make it work for for them i guess is the best way to say it heck yeah yeah <laughs> Well, okay, another thing, too, is you have two kids. I do. So I'm curious in terms of, like, how you see your campaign and, like, what, like, the vision you have for Valpo. Like, I guess ideally in, like, 20 years, like, what is the Valpo you're hoping them to come into? Right. You know, the, the, the idea is to have, I want, I want the Valpo that my kids raise their kids in to be the Valpo that their kids want to raise their kids in. You know, it's, it's it's a welcoming place it's a place that where your individuality is is celebrated and utilized you know where we are able to work together and use some civil discourse to make better decisions you know we've got great schools already but we need to actually buckle down and support our teachers that are making them so Mm -hmm. great you know we want to have safe places so that way people can that way you know when my daughter is is a a teenager or even an adult or even now at 10 years old that she can walk outside after dark and not feel you know uh concerned about about what what could happen you know and that the, the neighborhoods are are uh, walkable and we don't have to worry about tripping and falling and hurting ourselves and that you know we know that people have our back in our government and in 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 our neighborhoods and just really being a, a caring city I've been all over the country and I have stayed in so many different towns and places and driven through all these things and nothing quite does it like Valpo does and we're such a, a special little place. If you, you know, you ask anybody, most people could agree that Valpo kind of has like a 
a special thing that maybe not every place has. And what I want to see is us taking that and running with it and not destroying it and trying to look like everybody else. We're not a suburb of Chicago. We are our own thing, you know? We're Valparaiso and we we really I really want to run with that and expand on that. And that's really what I see for th- for them. And that's yeah. This is WVLP 103.1 FM in Valparaiso and streaming live online at wvlp.org. You're listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. Today we have a special guest, Hannah Trueblood, who is running for mayor of Valparaiso. So we've been talking a little bit about um, Hannah's platform today and oh I had a thought and now I've now I've lost it (laughs) (laughs) oh I know I wanted how how are you thinking you know should you be elected mayor about working with city council and other like city bodies like I'm thinking like the board of zoning appeals and like Mm -hmm. the the you know the the budgetary commissions and things like that. Like, what do you understand about the role of the mayor in terms of interacting with the other civic leaders? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a really good question. So, first, with the with the city council, um, a, my main goal is to really work alongside the the city council and and not rule over them. You know, I'm the mayor is the executive branch, and the city council is the legislative branch. We work symbiot. We're supposed to work symbiotically, and there's a checks and balances there to make sure that you know not one has has you know too much bearing over the other. And so that's going to be you know a big thing is is making sure that I'm working together with everybody and. You know the the possibility of it being you know some Republicans and some Democrats, but we're all there to serve our city. And so my goal as mayor is to really uphold that standard of making sure that the decisions that we make are are sound, are well discussed, and that we are all working together instead of you know one making you know major decisions without the other or without considering the other and that also stands true to all of these the different boards that i'll be working with you know public works with the uh, redevelopment commission with zoning i mean all of them i'm actually in that civics class so i'm doing a, a little bit of a deep dive and i'll be learning over the next eight weeks about each of these different um, positions and and what their relationship with the mayor is so that is, is something that I'm learning about every day. But I think the important thing is to really put uh, strong, um, educated, uh, well-meaning people into those into those heads uh, of those departments um, and make sure that they are run and operated with uh, a good code of ethics and morals being the number one deciding factor of, of what we do and, and considering the impact of, of the policies and the decisions that they make. It's just really important to make sure that we have that and also representation you know inviting more people to the table and inviting other people to get involved you know when we have uh, appointments and when we have you know if you go to a zoning appeals meeting there's probably like two or three people and they all want a fence right but you know the there's important things that go on there same thing with 
with the school board and same thing with the redevelopment commission the public works hardly anybody shows up to these meetings and city council too unless there's something real spicy on the agenda you're going to see maybe 10 people in the room and for a city of 35,000 we really need to reactivate people's interest in the local goings-ons of our government so Another thing to that that I that I will do is to really work to reinvigorate, you know, the civic engagement, even if you're not in on the board or anything like that, just being aware and being involved and understanding that you normal person in Vapo can actually make a positive difference by working with these boards and being involved and knowing what's going on in the city. So, you know, hybrid meetings. Another, you know, that's an opportunity to get more people involved. You know, you can't always attend in person. And some of the meetings are at like 2 o'clock on a Thursday. I don't, I can't make it 2 o'clock <laughs> on a Thursday, you know. So, you know, really making, making the government decisions more accessible for the people is, is a big thing. Do you have feelings about Valpo Next? I, like my memory is when Valpo Next, like, was first being forged in this, like, I remember Elizabeth Lynn was one of the co-chairs that was convening people to try to reactivate and revitalize a sense of citizenship. Um, and I, I, my sense of it now is a newsletter that comes through my email <laughs> inbox. And some of that's on me, you know, like, but I'm wondering about, you know, everybody's lives are like really busy. So how mm-hmm. do you get residents to get excited about and then put onto their plate civic engagement? Yeah, that's a good question. Vapo Next is an excellent example of this because I know that when they uh, were coming out with this and their their arts district and things, they they really, um, they made it look like they pushed hard for the, the public to, to get engaged and they, you know, invited different people of different backgrounds to come in and, and uh, communicate their opinions and their thoughts and ideas for these sorts of things. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, I've talked to a couple of people that were involved in those, but there's very little that translated out of those uh, discussions onto the actual plan. And so I think that you know, people will make time for what they think is is a is going to benefit them the most, right? And right now, we see a huge level of, uh, I guess, apathy and a lack of caring for what's going on because they've been taught uh, that it doesn't matter and that what they say doesn't matter and people aren't going to listen to them. You know, if you go somewhere and you can't even get a word in, or even if you do say something, something, you know, people aren't even looking at you. They're just looking down at their computer and chomping their gum. You're not going to feel like your time is valued and you're not going to come back. So I think that, you know, people will make time for the things that they are valued in. And if we are valuing people's opinions and we're actually listening to them and we're asking for their input it's a slow build it'll take time i don't think on you know january 1 2024 first day in office i got everybody involved uh but it's just that it's that one person at a time and and really opening up um you know the the conversation to people that aren't being considered right now like the the people in in the we are them interview you know, I, I highly doubt that anybody in leadership is asking them for any input, and they're they're being direct, you know, impacted by this too. So, you know, that's that's a big thing. I think if we if we 
scratch our constituents' backs, they'll scratch ours. So, how do you anticipate overcoming age bias? Oh, like I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking. I mean, you can you can talk about it in terms of running a campaign, mm-hmm. but I'm also thinking about it if you were to be elected and yeah. then interfacing with city council and the other departments of the city. I don't know, what are you anticipating as a way of having to encounter some of that bias and then how are you expecting mm-hmm. to address it or? Yeah, so I'll, I will be 29 when I get sworn in. And, um, you know, first thing, Pete, Pete Buttigieg in South Bend, he was first elected mayor of a city significantly larger and, and um, more, uh, quote unquote, on the map uh, when he was 29. Uh, you know, a- AOC over in New York, she was the first. She was a. a she was 29 when she was elected as as a rep, House of Representatives, youngest uh, female House of Representatives. We've got uh, we've got Gen Z in Congress mm-hmm. right now, and mm-hmm. so you know my my first counter argument to that is that you know I'm not. I may look I may look young, <laughs> but you know having the the young voices is so important to to what we're doing and and younger generations millennials and and gen z's tend to uh, care more about these progressive issues which you know housing unions um you know universal health care drug drug addiction suicide uh, all of these other things the environment all of these things affect and po- can positively impact people of all generations it's a it's a it's a vast, you know, everybody's got something that a younger person cares about, right? Um, you know, another thing is that I've got tons of years. Uh, I started a, a little young, you know, my, my first act of service was when I was an eight-year-old girl wanting to, wanting to uh, help kids that didn't have a home, you know, and starting a, a little tie-dye company with my mom to send all the proceeds to the, to the homeless shelter. And that has continued from then. So now, you know, I'm, I'm going on 20 years of civic engagement and and advocacy and work on political campaigns and and things like that. So although I may be quote unquote young, I got started a lot earlier than the average person. So although I may have a lack in age, I do not have a lack of experience Mm -hmm. uh, at all. You know, when I uh, first got my real estate license in 2017, I was you know, I was I was in my early 20s at that point, and uh, there were a lot of old heads that have been in in it for 20, 30 years that were like, "Okay, little girl," and didn't take me seriously and didn't think that I had any. There was, you know, oh, you want to do this full time? Like, okay, sure. Um, and there was, you know, you can't really convince anybody. Uh, you can say everything that you want. Oh, I've got it. But what I did was I went out and I proved myself. I, I learned, uh, from mentors and I worked extremely hard and, you know, and when COVID hit, that was when I went full-time in real estate. Uh, so the same week that the world shut down, I decided to become a, a full-time, <laughs> uh, independent contractor. And, you know, that, that story in and of itself of, of going from, working as a server and selling real estate and then going real estate full time in a time where everything was shutting down and nobody knew what was going on. I was able to not only turn a profit, but every year after that, I've doubled my business. And so utilizing that experience of having to really cut my teeth and, and I guess prove my worth and, and, uh, 
prove that I that I had everything it took and then some in real estate. That's exactly 100% what I expect uh, in this and what I've already experienced already on the campaign trail. You know, the, 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 uh, the two things are your age and your experience. And, you know, I think that I've pretty easily debunked that. And, you know, showing with my actions, you know, showing up and caring about what I talk about and, and being well-spoken and really having a passion for this and not just saying something, but saying something and following up by doing it just in this campaign has legitimized my, my candidacy. And that's 100% my plan when I get in office as well. I, I don't doubt for a second that people will, will look at me you know, a different kind of way because I'm younger and because I'm female. Uh, but I will meet that with showing them with my actions on, on what I'm doing and, and proving that, you know, the young people can do it and that they can do it really well. Do you anticipate having trouble um, hearing? So like, cause you're talking about it's in terms of generations, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like, um, like the uh, baby boomers often have times like hearing and listening to uh, millennials, Gen Xers on like the issues that are burning for them because for the baby boomers, they're at a different stage in life. Mm -hmm. Um, They have different set of concerns that are driving their interests and conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, If you were to be mayor, like how hard would it be for you to listen and incorporate those needs into your own sense of like what needs to take priority right I think that's that's a that's a great way of asking that question um so tying that back to my experience in real estate you know I have I deal with people all the time that you know the 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 common goal for every single person is to purchase a piece of property right and there are people that come from different different regions there are people that are different eight you know 18 all the way up to 100 you know 100 plus years old there are people that have different needs for you know their families or no families or you know stairs or no stairs and so you know being able to hear people where where what they need and meet people where they're at is a skill that I have developed and so you know there are uh, 150 things that I find very important and very and very passionate about. But when it comes to you know a different generation or a different type of person that that comes from a, a different experience as me, you know one of the things as mayor that that I'll be implementing is just really having that that ability to meet people where they're at and and ask them, not tell them what I think they want to hear find out directly from from them what they need and what they want you know and uh that could also be um working alongside you know the the um porter county the council on aging you know um and implementing uh even an 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 extra council within our city to help bridge that gap you know and if they're um if if there are are advocates for that specific group of people that are there and working alongside me, then there's a good working relationship there that we'll able we'll be able to bridge the gap between our age and our uh, I guess bias about each other. <laughs> so, yeah. As we wrap up today, is do you want do you want to tell us again about like where people can find you and also like some important dates that maybe we should know as we're 
heading towards the primary? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, website, hannahformayor.com, Facebook, Instagram, Hannah for Mayor. Um, Our address for our office is 1158 Lincoln Way. It's right behind the old Valpo Tech building off of Yellowstone Road. We're going to be there today. We have our first, today, Saturday, our first big day of action. You know, we've got postcard writers and phone bankers. I'll, I'll be going out uh, doing door-to-door knocking after I get out of this interview. So anybody that's uh, got a couple hours that you want to spend with some fun people, come on out. It's going to be fun. I think Willow is going to be coming I'll with be me. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, already got your t-shirt yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then our, our big our big event, uh, April 29th, is a Saturday from 12 to 4. Uh, it's a rock out the vote where, you know, we want to we want to show people that voting is cool and that politics is fun. And so at the Valpo VFW uh, from 12 to 4, we'll be doing the uh doing that on the 29th is is the date of this month april 29th so we'll have live music we'll have uh, barbecue food we'll have really cool we've got some local businesses that that have donated some items for an auction and so you can you can purchase tickets on my website or, or on my facebook so that's on the 29th and may 2nd is primary day um, so you make make sure you, you get out and vote. You can go to indianavoters.com to verify your uh, all of your re- registration information and to see where you can vote and the early voting. If you can't uh, be available on a Tuesday, early voting starts on April 17th. So, awesome. Yes. So be sure to check out hannahformayor.com. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.valpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support.